Good afternoon, everybody. It is 12 o'clock and it is time. Oh, I'm sorry, it's two o'clock. I am all off on my day. <laughs> it is office hours with Dr. DeVoe. It's a special year-end episode of our think tank. Uh, we are excited to have our friends Gage, Corey, and Gina here. And uh, we are looking forward to a great conversation about news of the academic year, what really we were thinking about and what was going on. Uh, but first, what, as we usually do as we start uh, the show is we start with some news. And there's just one piece of news because I had a great show yesterday, which I'll recap that a bit. But uh, and I gave some news updates yesterday, but today, uh, big news out of uh, Washington, the U.S. Department of Education announced on Wednesday it's discharging $5.8 billion in student loans held by borrowers who attended Corinthian Colleges, a for-profit chain that collapsed in 2015. All 560,000 borrowers with outstanding loans will receive discharges under the borrower defense to repayment rule which allows students who've been defrauded by their colleges to have their education debt forgiven. The Ed Department said the action is the single largest loan discharge in history. This all comes to us from Education Dive. Borrowers who attended the chain from its founding in 1995 through its closure in 2015 will receive relief even if they have not filed for borrower defense discharge. Altogether, the Biden administration has forgiven some $25 billion in student debt since January of 2021, including a $7.9 billion for students who institutions closed or who received relief from the borrower defense rule. So that's the big piece of news this week. Uh, if you did not join me yesterday uh, for my show on the University of North Carolina system, uh, there was a in there was an investigation brought to it by um, the university. Uh, I'm sorry, the AAUP, um, and one of the folks who sat on that uh, investigation, uh, Dr. Henry Reichman, out of California. He's a professor emeritus at UC East Bay. It was a great conversation. Um, if you are subscribed to us here. In Fireside, you can actually replay immediately. Uh, if you go to my my profile, you'll see past shows, and it's the most immediate past show. Um, and if you subscribe to my Substack, you can uh, get that replay sent to you in your inbox, and that will be arriving tomorrow, along with the replay of this show. Hi, everybody. So if you are new to Fireside, I want to just call your attention to a couple things. You can... Uh, interact with the show in a few ways. One of the ways that's super important is if you go to the um, hamburger in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen, which is the dot, and you click on broadcast to the world, you can actually now share that uh, on several of your um, social media accounts and uh, you can share that. So I would love for you to share uh, that you're listening to the show. It brings more people to us. Um, if you want to engage with our panel, you can request to come on up to the stage and you can also react using the react button in the bottom right hand corner. Uh, so I uh, want to want to uh, say a couple things. I want to first of all congratulate Corey. Uh, since his last appearance on the show, he defended his doctorate uh, at Plymouth State University in uh, New Hampshire. So Dr. Davis, welcome. You get the first shot at saying hi to everybody. Um, and so uh, we have just been talking about, um, you know, what, what it is that we're planning on this summer. And Corey, yesterday we were texting, he ran a 5k and was text messaging me during the 5k. And I swear to God, if somebody, if I actually was able to run in a 5k and someone texted me, I probably would collapse right there. I'd trip over myself. It would be bad. So Corey, uh, welcome and congratulations. Are you going to be running any more 5k's and texting me this summer? I absolutely will. You don't even need to prompt me. My next one in July, I'll definitely make sure to put a note in my calendar already. Um, but folks, my name is Corey. I work currently at Champlain College in very scenic Burlington, Vermont. So that's why I was out running because our running season is quite short and we're already getting ready for snowboard season coming up soon. So happy to be here. 
Thank you. And Gina, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Gina Master de Casa, and I work at the University of Florida. And I am uh, A, not a runner. B, um, our running season is not now. It is 95 degrees out. Um, and I just have to say I'm pretty excited to be here on the, on the season finale here. Great. Thank you for being here. And Gage, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Gage Payne. I'm a longtime university administrator turned consultant in Gage Payne Consulting. And uh, we had this really weird freak rainstorm about an hour ago, so it's only 82 here. Oh. It's still going to be a sauna um, because of the rainstorm, but um, it dropped the temperature. So that, you know, is a lovely little thing. Well, I it's nice when you can have any kind of reprieve. So it is. I appreciate that. All right. Well, before we started this, before we got into the show today, I did send uh, folks, I thought the three things that were the biggest issues in terms of my mind, but then I wanted everybody to kind of think and marinate on what uh, were the three big issues to them or, or a big issue to the, each of them beyond these. So we're going to touch on these real quick. Um, we're going to talk a bit about uh, the great resignation uh, it has consumed us at another level, uh, I think, this year. I'm seeing a lot of uh, failed searches, uh, which I think are collateral damage from the great resignations. So we're going to talk about that a bit. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, not only loan forgiveness, but completion rates and seeing what's going on there. Um, and then last but not least, uh, COVID. You can't talk about the last year without talking about COVID. So um, I want to start with uh, the Great Resignation. Um, I want, I know we've talked, we've had several episodes where we've discussed this, why people have left the field, what institutions are doing to maybe change up the hiring. Um, this is typically our hiring season, um, and I'm seeing a lot of um, I'm not going to call them frantic posts, but almost these posts on LinkedIn and reach outs from other folks. I got uh, three emails or text messages in the last uh, week from people saying, do you know anyone who is interested in this? So it, it is literally people going through their network and trying to find folks. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pose this up first to Gina, because you're, you're at a a position at a university where you, you probably see a lot of hiring come through. What are you seeing in terms of uh, the, the kind of collateral damage of the hiring right now in our season? And uh, what are you thinking is going to be the impact in the coming year? So what I'm seeing is a couple of things. I'm seeing certainly what I've been struck by is on LinkedIn and other social media of how many people I know already who are changing jobs, right? So there's a lot of people deciding to make the move. A lot of them did not go anywhere during COVID and now say, okay, it's time. So I think that's a factor. Mm -hmm. But the really big challenge I'm having is with support staff, administrative staff. Um, you know, I, I'm working at a research one university. We actually have um, I'm in, I am the, in charge of operations for the agriculture and natural resources part of our land grant university. So a very big college essentially plus extension. And we have at peak, we're in over 4,000 employees and I cannot get any applicants for farm jobs, business office jobs, um, HR, anything. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, one of the challenges we have is certainly our local talent pool um, I live in a college town and around us is very rural. Our, our metropolitan area hires people from the neighboring counties as well. And whatever we're doing is not reaching people who might be looking for a job, let alone are there people looking for jobs. Um, we have facilities, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I have a slew of jobs and I met actually yesterday with mm -hmm. our main HR to talk to them about strategies because apparently whatever we're doing is not hitting the people hitting. who would be looking for jobs. Yeah. And I think this is reflected everywhere. Um, I will say also add on, I was a little bit of tangent, but I serve on a, a, a citizen advisory board for our local police department mm -hmm. and they are down drastically and that is reflective of around the nation. And so we're, you're just having less people doing things and I don't know if we'll ever answer the question, what, what is everybody doing? But mm -hmm. um, it, I think now everybody's taking their chance to rethink what do you want to do and how does it work, et cetera, et cetera. So those, that's what I'm seeing. And it's, there's a lot of impact across all levels. 
Um, I think I've been seeing a bit of the same. I mean, I am in an urban environment. Uh, one of the local universities here has been talking about uh, partnering uh, with some of the uh, social services organizations, um, as well as talking to different um, kind of doing outreach in a very different way and actually doing a good old fashioned career fair, um, which we haven't done that in a long time, but it's a way to, you know, even bring people in and show them we're available and accessible on mass transit. This is a way to get to this job and all that. So they're really trying really hard to do some different things. Corey, you're in a pretty rural location uh, in a space that is not highly populated um, up in up in Vermont. I'm sure that you pull your talent from not only the region, but also if someone's going to relocate to Vermont, that's a different, that's a whole different ball of wax. You've done it yourself. Um, what are you all seeing? And, and is it the same type of thing that Gina's talking about? Is it is it those kind of um, administrative and frontline staff that are hard to fill or is it up and down the chain? I think it is a lot more of those like frontline, second line, even kind of middle manager positions. And um, while Gina was talking, I was thinking about over the past couple of years of the, the people and the roles and quite frankly, the salary bands who I have mm -hmm. seen leave the field up until like a certain point, let's call it 70 to 80 to 85,000 folks below that band, you know, they really strove and they tightened belts and they, you know, were in the office masked or they worked from home and they did all kinds of things. I think with the the promise or the hope or the carrot at the end that they would be compensated and things would come back to this kumbaya moment and raises or cost of living would go up. And I think as the pandemic has maybe entered more endemic stage, yep, Gage, you're shaking your head, you know exactly where I'm going. Those things haven't necessarily panned out or budgets are even more tightened. So I think I people are saying- bonus. <laughs> Yep. Yep. And say, you know, and I'm not going to, and why did I do all of that? And then they're seeing a grass is greener, you know, in hard currency terms and in terms of their um, jobs. And I think too, you know, folks above that income threshold, they may be, you know, have, have weighed and measured their opportunities and said, you know what, all in all, I'm still in a good spot, relatively speaking. So I'm still going to stay. Um, in looking, you know, comparison between Florida and Vermont, I think a challenge in being here in Vermont and in Burlington is a stereotype of what Burlington looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's very different to come and visit for a long weekend. You can go to Ben and Jerry's and you can do beer tourism if you want, or the mountains or the lake. That's very different than fighting tooth and nail. 12 months out of the year. Right. And like, you know, you have all of these grocery store options. What's the cheapest? You could go to the co-op or you could go to a chain grocery store when people are looking at $2,000 a month for rent for a two bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. That, you know, isn't your bachelor party or your bachelorette party. Um, so I think people are really making those calculations. And also Vermont is a very white rural state. Um, there's not even a million people in the entire state. So I think when people are looking at opportunities, they might be saying, you know, it's nice for a visit. Wouldn't want to live there. Right, right. And it, it does make a change. And, and I, I absolutely see that. Is that when people are making these opportunities, when I'm talking to my grad students, I literally say to them, you can live anywhere for two years. You mm -hmm. literally could live anywhere for two years. So now is your chime. If, if you are a new professional um, or someone willing to take a risk. If you are somebody who's who's quite mobile, you don't necessarily have a family or some connection that I have to stay uh, in terms of a certain uh, geographic location, now's the time for you to take that risk and you could literally go and work anywhere for two years. Um, Gage, you do coaching, you work with folks. As you've been considering the coaching uh, realities that you have, are you seeing that people are struggling with where they're at or where they want to go? Where do you see this great resignation hitting your coaching business? So in the coaching realm, what's been interesting is the number, uh, not, but not surprising, the number of senior people who I've worked with who are trying to decide, is what I'm feeling a need to leave the field, a need to leave the institution, 
or just this time period, right? right. Because it's really hard. And so um, really sitting down and giving people a space to analyze that for themselves. And so it's not about all those other things that the frontline people are dealing with. It's the um, exhaustion and the competing demands that pull that are just wearing people out at the senior level. And so that's who I work with most in the coaching area is that as I've been talking, um, Laura and I both get to teach. And so I've been working with master's and doctoral students, most of whom this past year are currently employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're just, they're limping along. I mean, you know, they keep their studies going, but their um, energy has been just completely depleted. And what's really hard at all of these institutions is the cycle doesn't stop, right? There really is no, can I get off the Mm merry-go-round? Maybe my job has a couple of weeks downtime, but we're so far behind, it's hard to, you know, take advantage of the downtime. Or we're not all back in the office yet in some places. So you don't get the fun of walking up and down and chatting and having some relaxed conversations with people that you used to have in the, in the, in the down moments. And so, um, you know, the environment's really, really different right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things I would say, and one of the things I, you know, we talk about in the coaching is, you know, when's a good time to make a decision about moving? Yeah. And I'm, I'm a real proponent of if you can move towards something, not away from something. Mm. And unless you're in a truly toxic environment that is not, you know, not healthy or safe to be in, then, you know, tough it out a little bit until you find the next good thing rather than just grabbing hold of something to get out of what situation you're in, because the whole industry is, is tough right now. Um, And so helping, there's not an industry right now that it's not. No, that's right. No, that's exactly right. Like I Um, want to be real. I don't, I am not talking to anyone in any industry where they're like, you know what? My life is a bag of walnuts, cherries, and everything right. else I like to put on top of my ice cream sundae. That is not what's happening. I know. And when I see all sorts of folks saying, I'm leaving the field for getting out of higher education, and I'm going to go and it, I go to this place, and the values are really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm a skeptic. Um, our, our organizations are made up of people, and there are some great organizations out there, and there's some great pockets in mm-hmm. complex organizations, right? I've gotten to work with them. But it's not just I get out of higher ed and the rest of the world is walnuts and cherries, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I really want to help people do the discernment that they would do anytime and yeah. try to sort out for themselves, is this situational? Is this time limited? In the, I mean, time limited in the sense of, you know, COVID, right? right. Um, you know, do, do your work about leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just grab something that looks shiny. Don't leave just because you're tired. Again, all the provisos about health and safety, um, because I think we make poor decisions in those circumstances. And right. so, um, those are some of the conversations we're having both for people themselves and also for the folks that they're working with. You know, how do I make it possible for people to stay in my organization? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really hard, Um, for most of us is even at the vice presidential level, you're not really completely in control of making it a good place to work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's so many external policies or or higher level policies that you don't have the ability to influence. And so, or not quickly. Um, And so that's part of what's wearing on senior level people is they see the problems and their ability to really affect change is often limited. Well, and I, I, I want to stress something. So uh, I'm teaching a strategic planning class right now in the graduate program at BU at Boston University. And I gave everyone an assignment on, on how to learn how to do a SWOT analysis and the SWOT analysis is specifically focused on the great resignation. I kept it pretty broad. I'm like, you could talk about everything from hiring to retention to staff appreciation, whatever it might be. But, but I wanted to have something to do with this on your organization. And I had, I, I think I have like 18 students in the class. And I had three students come back and say, my, my supervisor doesn't want to talk about it. 
And I said, okay, let's, and you know, and, and Gage and, and Gina, you've taught, and sometimes you have to like, you know, kind of pivot in terms of let's get to what the essence of this um, assignment's about. And we were able to make it a bit more operationally focused on something not related to staffing. But to get what got me thinking about it was what you just said, Gage, is that when you're the manager, when you're the leader, when you're the, when you are the titular head of a department or an organization, you can't be in denial right now. You have to really think about this. And so I, I think one of my big, my big takeaways from all of this is we have to be honest with ourselves in terms of what this is doing and for our organization and going and looping back to what Gina said at the very beginning is we got to start to do some things differently in order to fill these positions and hang on to folks. Okay. And, and it's important and we have to start to do that. Well, and it's back to what Gina was saying about things that we used to do don't work anymore. Right. And, you know, higher ed, particularly public higher ed, uh, was a good place to get a job. It, people worked to get into the system, right? Take any job at UT so that you can get into the UT system so you can get the next job, right? The one you really want. Um, that happened at every level, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because steady pay, you weren't the likelihood of getting laid off was much lower than other industries and the state benefits were good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that long-term idea of the state benefits is really pretty thin feeling right now yeah. for a lot of people, I think. Um, and so the things that we used to rely on as attractive to folks don't feel all that attractive anymore. Absolutely. Gage, I want to latch on to something that you had said and that really stuck with me of, of these conversations. And I know this group of folks have talked about the Great Resignation before. It always, I don't think we do a good job of balancing both the employees and the organization or culture or structure. And I've worked in, a, and unfortunately, a few negative or toxic workplaces who I think used a little bit of Great Resignation as cover for, oh, well, you know, those people, they just they just want to leave. They had better opportunities without doing, Laura, what you're saying of some of that introspection and what should we continue doing, augment or stop doing. And I, I hope that organizations are doing that, but I think human nature and the odds are saying like, no, we'll find new people or, you know, we, we like our culture. So we're just going to continue. But I've seen that. I'd like to see that enter the conversation more. And it's, it's unfortunate because where the benefits aren't as attractive, where the pay isn't as attractive, the culture is the, is the make or break. Like I'm sure you tell your grad and your doctoral students, you're interviewing people just as you're being interviewed. Do you want to have a, a drink with these folks if you choose to drink? Do you want to have lunch with these people day in and day out? And I think so many folks aren't doing the work to tend their culture and to nurture that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then using, well, the great resignation. Yeah. Oh, um. And then it's easy to blame the fact that so many people have that, that the that the churn has become so big and so um, aggravated uh, during this period of time. And that takes me to the, our other discussion. The big the big issue of the last really two years has been covid. Um, and, you know, I, I know we've talked about covid till we're literally blue in the mask of face. Um, but you know, one of the things that Cage was talking about is that, that idea of being back in the space and knowing who you're with and all that kind of stuff. I can't tell you how many people in the last two months I was sitting at graduation, uh, two weeks ago and, uh, was with faculty and I was all masked up because I didn't know what was going on and, and all that. And, uh, some of the faculty were like, yeah, the whole floor got it two weeks ago. Like, you know, we all kind of dropped our, dropped our guard and the whole department got it right in the middle of finals or right in the middle of all of it. Um, and COVID has taken over, uh, not only how we operate, but also how we feel about how we operate. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I want to think about what you've experienced. I know Gage, you've been in the classroom, Corey and Gina, you've been on your campuses. What are you feeling in terms of not only, uh, how your staff's doing, but how are your students doing? And, and what, kind of made me feel good this spring was that we got to see commencements in person again. We actually got to do some of your chicken. I can't believe I was excited to be invited to a chicken dinner. You know, like I was excited for the chicken dinner tour of the spring. Um, so, you know, what did you see and, and how are you seeing uh, maybe some of these traditions come back? 
some of the operational changes. So we'll start with Corey, then we'll go to Gage and then Gina. So speaking of, I Champlain College just went mask optional on campus two days ago. So not, you know, the option to wear your mask or not is quite uh, still something people are embracing. Like I walked in, I was like, all right, are, are we doing this or not? Like, is this legitimate? You know, and our CAO, COO said, yeah, we're doing this. Okay, great. Um, you know, it, it feels... It feels like like a safety measure. It feels like sometimes a political statement. Sometimes I still walk into the grocery store with this on. A month or so ago when I graduated, I still you know had my mask and I was in New Hampshire, which is very uh, notorious and famous for its live free or die, libertarian, come as you are, do whatever you'd like. Um, I think for, for our student community and our staff, we were very quick to adopt whatever safety measures that were going to keep us in person. And that was, you know, in the classroom, in the residence halls, going to events, going to activities um, with all the precautions, you know, following both the CDC and the state of Vermont. Um, and when this kind of uh, this mask optional policy came through, the staff were even joking, like, how could we find a silver lining? And should we do like a big unveiling event where people finally see each other's faces? Um, I, what everybody looks like, by the way, like right, everyone in my right. classes, I'm like, well, you're all very attractive. <laughs> Yep. Yep. And like you pull, you know, from bridge of your nose to your chin, you're like, you had a beard this whole time. I had yeah, no, exactly. I, you have a mustache. I had no idea. Um, you know, it, and it feels new and exciting, you know, there, and there is still hesitation. Like I do still put this on when I go to the, when I go to the grocery store. Yeah. Um, I think it's really challenged my senses of community in the United States, um, you know, and what people are willing to do for one another at the expense of what they might do themselves. And I'm glad, and, you, and that, that, you, know, I'm glad you said that because I think as we're thinking about our core competencies that we care about with our development of our students and the as we move forward and we're, and summer is planning time, right? Like I know a lot of us are going to go on vacation and all that, which is great. Please take your vacation time. That being said, as you're trying to plan for the sprint for the fall semester, I'm hopeful that as we're thinking about how we're transitioning our way into our our normalcy right now, is that exactly what you just said, Corey, which is we need our students to start to feel a sense of attachment to a community beyond their four walls. And we've seen that we just don't have that across the board. And maybe our campuses can be that microcosm of doing right by one another and say, you know what, we're better. We're, this is how we operate here. This is our creed. This is our mission. These are our values. We need you to understand is that masks are optional, but, and, and I was on um, the WPI campus in Worcester a few, about a month or so ago, my, uh, my daughter had a swim meet out there and that was when they went optional and they said masks are optional and we we welcome people's choices or we confirm people's choices and we respect people's choices or something of that nature. And I, I like that tone that it's set. Gage, uh, you're in a I'm gonna I'm gonna end up with Gina and and Gage. We're in in two states where it is it is it is beyond live free or die. Okay, so uh, so so where are you? What are you seeing on the on the in the Texas campuses and where you're traveling to? So UT Austin, where I teach, went mask optional about mid semester, so pretty early. Um, the class I taught this. Um, spring had nine students in it. And so we were in a classroom, we, everybody spread out. Um, so that was really felt comfortable, I think. So pretty much we mostly got rid of masks at that point. We had one student who took the whole class on Zoom because he lived with an immunocompromised family member. Um, and I have to say, one of the nice things about, so I had Zoom set up for every class and, you know, a student could call and say, I'm sick. Can I, can I come to class on Zoom? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was great. So they could still be there. Um, I had a, we did our final presentations, a, a whole long thing, but the last two classes were all zoom based. Yeah. Um, and that was part of the design anyway. 
And I'm so glad we did because somebody tested positive for COVID the Tuesday after yeah. class. So if we'd all been in class the day before, you know, oh been, my gosh, right? Close. So, yep, yep, yep. you know, I mean, <clears throat> the managing, the, but I have to say the students who, especially the one who was there, he didn't get the same experience, right? I mean, he wasn't engaged in the same way. Right. He, I mean, we made it work when we broke into small groups, two people would get on Zoom and we'd do a breakout room and they would go off in a corner and, and work with it. But it, the mixed bag is hard. Mm -hmm. And yet it was yeah. really helpful to have that. And I think that's sort of a metaphor for the whole experience, right? Yeah, the, 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 it's always difficult to accommodate something outside the norm mm -hmm. in the classroom or on all of this. And yet that's what we're about. And that's what we yeah. try to do. And, and it's a I, complicated I, I say that I, I've learned that that I go with you on the mixed bag thing and I teach at at BU as I just said and we are literally I could I'm a half a mile from Fenway Park where the Red right. Sox play and so I said to my my students I checked the syllabus for the term and adjusted <laughs> it to the Red Sox schedule and I put the Red Sox home games on the syllabus <laughs> And I said, these classes, depending on where you're coming from, we are going to be zooming these classes. We're going to have we're going to have it as an option right. because our students, there are still so many reasons. I'm trying to be very in tune with the yeah. fact that students anxiety about things is heightened. And also the cost of things. When you come to campus on the night of a Red Sox game, it's 50 bucks to park your car if you drove. Yeah. And so the students are like, I don't want to pay $50. I don't blame right. you. I don't right. want to pay it either. Yeah. So we're going to have that remote option. So yeah. learning from the COVID experience, I think, yes, I agree with you, Gage, when you have a student who's the only one who's on Zoom when everyone else is in right. community in the classroom. It's not the same experience, but when we can actually say, you know what we've learned from this on a night in, in uh, Burlington, Vermont, when there's five feet of snow, we don't have to cancel something. Right. We can actually have it by zoom. We can, we can do these things and learn from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, Gina, anything you want to add on this topic? Well, I, I think you're very right. It, doing the hybrid thing is a mixed bag and it does make things. I just don't think it's a A plus experience for no. anybody. It's not, it just never really comes, it doesn't work great. I will say a few areas where we've seen improvement is faculty attendance at faculty meetings. It's suddenly gone up when it's on Zoom only, which is hilarious. Um, and the other thing is we actually got out of the business of doing hybrid meetings with faculty groups because of that exact issue. And we say, just go back to your office and get on Zoom and it works so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Um and we don't have to horse around with it. But, you know, I think the really biggest challenge to me, and this really gets into like the big issues facing higher ed and other industries. We learned lessons during COVID that we're not, we're not bothering to use. Yes. And it drives me a little bananas. And I talk about it probably too much on my campus, but it's like, why did you get rid of curbside pickup? That was awesome. <laughs> There's just so many things that worked that were just small things or whatever, or maybe we should do this this way or meet this way. And then there's the flip side. And I keep saying, my boss is a great example. He started in July, 2020 at UF. And um, I still think this is the dissertation topic for somebody to figure out what what it's like to start as a brand new leader on a campus during COVID because your political capital is just zero. People don't even know you. Yeah, absolutely. And is, he's still mostly great. on Zoom for his peer meetings. And mm -hmm. okay, but they don't know if he's cool to sit next to. And think yeah. of all the things you do when you go to an in-person meeting. <laughs> absolutely. I would say to people, if you are starting a job or if you've started a job in the last year um, at an executive level and you need that political capital, now's your time to say, I'm going to invest in myself, get a coach, um, have that person coach you because your supervisor is probably not doing it um, and find a coach and really talk about how to leverage that. And, you know, Gage and I are available for that, that function. So please uh, reach out. Um, I want to be mindful of time, but I also want to highlight a few things that are coming up uh, on our uh, office uh, office hours schedule. Um, we have some really great shows coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, I specifically want to highlight one on the 15th of June 
uh, which will be at 11 o'clock in the morning. We are actually going to be joined uh, by uh, an, a senior administrator at the University of Kharkiv, Ukraine. Um, she is going to be dialing in from Ukraine to talk to us about what's happened there on their campus. Um, I think this will be a very unique opportunity for folks, uh, especially those of us who uh, are crisis management junkies. Um, the kind of uh, experience that she has explained that she has experienced with her students is, is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Um, and we are also going to have to really talk about, um, you know, one of the things I said to someone is like, this, this university has been here since 1805, I think. And um, they've lost entire aspects of not only how they're going to deliver uh, teaching and living on campus to their students, but imagine if someone dropped a bomb on your library and your special collections are now dust. And that's exactly what's happened to this institution. Uh, it'll be a very important conversation, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we are going to be joined uh, before the end of the month of June by folks from uh, Butler University uh, and their Student Wellbeing and Institutional Support Survey. Uh, we also have Nancy Hunter Denny, who is a national uh, institution as far as professional development, talking uh, about how to set up your own professional development plan uh, for the upcoming year, um, as well as some other shows that we're working on. And we're going to be taking a break over the course of July. Uh, but uh, we will be back in earnest come, a, uh, come August. So uh, if you are interested in being on the show next season or if you have some suggestions for topics, please let me know. Um, before I get into what your top, three, your top issues were for the three of you, um, I want to just ask a quick question. One thing that's constantly in the news um, that affects uh, everybody, and it is uh, literally something that happens every day, we hear more and more about it, um, is student loan forgiveness uh, as well as completion rates and how you know, higher education is not keeping up with either. Uh, I want to ask the three of you, uh, if you could get an announcement, I know that up, coming up is going to be uh, allegedly some announcement about uh, student loan forgiveness. If you had, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you hope it included? So uh, quick rapid fire answers on that. I'm going to go uh, Gina, then I'm going to go Gage and then Corey. My heart says forgive it all and move on, which is, I know, an insane public policy standpoint, but I just paid mine off in January. Thank you. Mazel tov. <laughs> Congratulations. Okay. Gage. So I think there's a reason for people to have skin in the game when, yeah. when you're involved in anything. Um, and I say this as a person who paid almost nothing um, for my um, tuition because the state subsidized it right yeah, yeah um and so you know okay if you can't do everything like gina says do everything but five percent that people have to pay five percent of what their cost was for education you know there's some skin in the game you have to you have to do something you took on this loan you have an obligation i get people's comments about that so pick a percentage mm -hmm. i pulled five out of the air but um you know something that says yes I have an obligation. I'm meeting it. But the reality is, my bias, education's a public good. The public should be helping pay for that. That's what we pay tax dollars for. That's why we do all these things that we do. And I benefited from that. And why shouldn't other people? Okay. Excellent. Corey. And I have a whole soapbox on that if you there really. You go. <laughs> We're gonna have I, I, I like Gage's so percentage. Good. I like Gage's percentage. You know, I'm I myself, my partner, and our, and our friends were millennials. We've gone through a couple of recessions. We've been told if you get these degrees, things will work out. I'm 34, finally feeling middle class after a terminal degree. So, you know, everyone pay 15% and get rid of the rest. Okay. I I have this I have this fantasy that uh, we get to a point where it's it's a, a, a percentage. Um, but it's also factored of the percentage and your and your income. So it's a percentage and income. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, but there's also a side of me that says when we actually do this, we're also going to announce that this is how we're going to clean it up moving towards the future. 
And something that I really would love to see and talk about, like, this is just a wackadoo idea, but I actually think it, there's something to it, is that if we were to say, because the institutions have, have failed in terms of completion rates as across the board, like, it's not just, you know, they're just not hitting it, okay? If we said to students, hey, if you graduate within five years of enrollment, we will not only knock off X amount of money on your final amount that you have to pay, but we will defer when you start paying by two years. So that way you can knock it down and you don't have to start paying immediately. And that means you can actually move your way into like out of your parents' basement potentially and kind of move on with your life. Uh, and uh, because I think if you incentivize it for the students, we will see better results than what we're seeing for the institutions. So that's my, that's my little soapbox. I know it's a little complicated. I feel like it's that, that, um, that meme from it's always sunny in Philadelphia and the guy in like front of the, in front of the chart, like doing this whole thing, but that's my idea. So, all right. So we're going to close out the rest of the show today. And I said to the panel, I said, I want you to bring your top issue. And so uh, I'm going to start with with Gage. What's your top issue this year? What do you think it was? Not we've already talked about COVID. We've talked about uh, student loan forgiveness and retention, and we've talked about um, <clears throat> what was the first thing? Oh, the Great Resignation. Right. Well, I think it, for me, it's all wrapped up into that, and it's um, it's it's what Gina said late earlier. It's that we um, institution by institution are not coming out of this thoughtfully mm. um, and that we aren't taking what we've learned and trying to figure out what it taught us, that we aren't listening to employees who say, you know, I'm dying here and we mm -hmm. think about what that means, yeah. that we aren't looking at pay structures. I mean, you know, public institution, managing tax dollars, I get all that, but, you know, are we designing jobs well? Are we thinking about pay structures? Are we thinking about where we really need people face-to-face -face and where remote, or is it just based on who complains the loudest about being on campus? Mm -hmm. I, just, I just don't see us being thoughtful about how we come out of this in a way that it's a missed opportunity. Yep. And so I see that in so many different levels as I talk to staff who... Um, coaches who are, I mean, I'm coaching people who are frustrated with, you know, what answers they're getting back from their administration. As I see the push, um, certainly politically to get everything looking normal and everybody be back in classrooms and all be happy campers. Um, I just, I, I think we, um, you know, we could have made more of a bad situation than I suspect we are going to. And I was I was hopeful there early on, but I, I'm I'm less hopeful about our ability in a widespread way to really um, use this as an opportunity to rethink things. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that um, you know I was seeing this from the very beginning. Like, honest to God, from the very beginning of all of this, when I was seeing people say, "Well, we've got to do something about we got to run housing selection. We have to do this. We have to do that." I'm like, "You need to shut up." You need to stop a second, shut up, and look at what's happening around you. You're not going to be able to do housing selection because half your class isn't going to come back next fall. You got to stop thinking like, oh, we're going to just make it normal. And if we act normal, it's like when you go to, I was, I was recently at an event and there was, a, there was a couple who was going through an absolute mess divorce but hadn't been telling anybody because they wanted to put on the normal. We're, we're literally looking like a bunch of divorcees living under the same house, trying to say, we're going to just let everybody think it's normal. We're going to be normal. Stop trying to be normal. Well, we were talking about the enrollment cliff yeah. before COVID started. And I don't, I saw the stats and they went through my brain, but you know, the decline in enrollment over the last three semesters is significant. And that's mm -hmm. not from the enrollment cliff. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, Texas, Florida, not really hurting for students, but it'll come eventually just like mm -hmm. every place else. But yep. other places have real incentive to do this work. And, and, you know, I get it. You, when you're, 
when you're trying to keep from drowning, it's hard to be creative, but I think that's what's going to save us from drowning. Yep, absolutely. And we, we've got to be, we've got to be bold and we have to, you know, we have to say, okay, we're going to take a risk. We're going to do this differently. We're going to break things and we're going to do things differently. Um, you know, Corey or Gina, do you have any thoughts on what Gage brought up? And then we're going to take it to Corey for his, his idea. Sure. I, I do, of course. Um, well, first of all, Gage, I'm like preach, but I didn't interrupt you to yell preach. So there's my preach. Um, I was actually on this during COVID, the university of Florida set up several task forces to address different things. And some were very operational and I participated in those. And one was like the future of higher education. What's post-COVID look like? And it was a great group. And it was probably the best opportunity for me to be on a task force with about five of our deans and some other really people I just don't normally interact with. And we, re- we came up with all kinds of goodies. We presented to the trustees. And then it's been crickets ever since. Yeah. And, it, and it's such a shame because a lot of it was very practical and it makes sense. And I, I'm just... We're just not there politically to implement a lot of the things. And it's, it's a true missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when slash if it'll be looked at again. Do you think it's actually this combination of that higher ed doesn't like to be that different? And the political yes, but reality? what I'm struck by is how so state employees, for example, had couldn't work from home um, at the state government level unless you reported to the one Democrat. So on our cabinet or um, I mean, our trustees are all very well decorated business people in a variety of things. And they are just very not comfortable with the idea of anybody working remotely, um, especially faculty. And um, you know, it's, it's just really an interesting thing because I, you know, it's, it's just, we see so much happening in the true corporate world, the modern corporate world, but the reality is majority of businesses, including the one my spouse works at, mm-hmm. very traditional, no working from home. Why would you even think that was a thing? Right, right. It, it also seems we have, we have such short memories that we're like, oh no, we don't remember six months ago when everyone was doing that. Yeah. No, no, we're looking six months ahead where everything is going you know, three semesters or four semesters back to the future. Um, you know, so Laura, I wonder if your point is like, no, people aren't, you know, we, we condensed our operations and now we're going to expand, but we've got a a level of comfort. We've got a sweet spot and we're not going beyond, nor are we staying contracted. Yeah. And I think my point earlier about this idea of higher ed doesn't like to be that different. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, we always say, this is what makes us unique. Really? How are we that? Really? Are we that unique? Are we really that unique? No, I consulting work tells me it's fascinating how many different ways we can all do basically the same thing, same thing. Exactly. but we're basically doing the same thing, right? The emphasis may be before. different. But I've literally said this before. We have students who are like, you know, you don't have a Starbucks on campus. Not sure if I can really do that. Really? That's where you, that's what's making your decision is where you're going to be able to get coffee, you know? And, and that is absolutely that shit as far as I'm concerned. I understand from coffee it, drinkers that that's really important though. Well, but, but here's the thing. It's like this idea of even, and this is something I, I want, uh, uh, let's workshop this for next season. But something I think is really interesting is that some of the vendors that we all sign on for. So whether it be, um, you know, who you're doing your care uh, logging with, who you're doing your your housing lottery with, who you're doing uh, your registration with, whatever, okay? The vendor is actually propelling your culture. And so even if you brand it as this is the university of, you know, this is this is Gator, you know, Gator portal or whatever the hell you call it. And this is... <laughs> I don't know what that, what do you call your portal? Do you have a, do you have a name? Do you have a, do you have a name? I've got to think about it. Cause, uh, um, there's so many Gator portal. <laughs> uh, they got a lot of Gator stuff. I'm trying to think what the new one is one UF. I think is one UF is what they call it now. Okay. So one UF. Okay. And actually one BU is what, what we have here. And then I've got Eagle apps at, at BC and I've got all these things and everyone's got a portal, but I can tell when I log in, I'm like, Oh, 
that's this backbone. That's that backbone. That's this, that, the other thing. And those things are actually driving the culture instead of us saying to the vendors, this is where it is. Now I realize in the big scheme of life, a student is not selecting the University of Florida over the University of Texas over University of Michigan because of the portal. But if when they're talking to their friends, if I'm talking to my friends at those three institutions, and they're all like, oh yeah, I got that too. Oh, well, okay. You know, you don't feel so special. You don't feel like it's anything new. They don't feel like it's anything unique and you don't actually feel like it's something that matters. Um, so, you know, my whole point of this is that, you know, as we've been trying to work our way through this, this whole COVID reality and how it's intersected with, um, with the great resignation and all that is that we've lost our political will to actually say, well, shit, let's break it and let's do it right by our students and our community. And I don't care what compare, how you compare us to our, our peer institutions. If we know what we're doing and our outcomes are gonna be right, let's do it right by us. That's my point. Corey, what is your thoughts? What is your big issue of the last year? I would love to make a joke and go back to the end of the fall semester when this crowd was talking about wildlife and turkeys on campus. I'm just here scrolling back through. What a, what a joyous time. Many moons ago. Um, you know, Laura, what a <laughs> squirrels in New England. Every campus has the busiest and the best like gray squirrels. I had a um, squirrel the other day on my back porch that was like the, 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 the big cheeks with like 45 nuts in its mouth. And Probably like, driving Daisy crazy. Where's my camera? Okay. Staring her down through the window. You know, what, what I was getting fired up about when, when I was running yesterday, um, something that I think impacts my work day to day is working in a multi-generational workplace. Uh -huh. So, and that's something I think about constantly. I said, I'm a millennial, you know, we're working with student workers and students who are Gen Z. We're also working with kind of folks who are trailing out of the baby boomer generation, ton of Gen Xers coming into leadership positions and their experiences have motivated COVID really responses. Are a lot of Gen Xers? Because I'm a Gen Xer and I don't feel like we're getting those <laughs> We are, we are. They're few and far between. Come to Vermont, um, you know. But but I think it changes, um, you know, day to day examples. People, if people's kids have COVID and they're there at home with them, you say, oh, why isn't this person here? And they're of a generation where they had kids, and those are their responsibilities, and they feel comfortable. They say, my family is more important than work, so I'm going to be with my family. Millennials and younger generations. Don't, maybe don't have those responsibilities, nor sometimes that's not their first thought. They have that first thought of, oh, well, I should really be at work. Am I going to go to work? Am I going to take care of my family? And I think for folks of an older generation, they're, they're, oftentimes it's like, well, no, of course you take care of your family. When younger generations haven't always, um, you know, there is a lot of debt. There is a lot of uncertainty. and They've gone through a lot of trials and tribulations as every generation has, but the balancing out isn't what it used to be I'll, from prior I'll, generations. I'll throw the millennials a bone right now is that you guys have gotten it knocked around upside down and inside out. So I absolutely get it. And uh, you know, you're, you're shouldering debt that other, other generations don't have as much of. Um, mm. And you're also shouldering trauma. And you, you're mm -hmm. the Columbine generation. You are the 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 two re, two recessions in a in a lifetime generation. You know, mm -hmm. you're in a short lifetime generation. So I yeah. absolutely get it. Um, but I want to take it and expand that point a little bit, Corey. Is that I I'm really happy you brought up this idea of the multi generational workplace. Um, because I think that is absolutely connected to what Gage brought up earlier about changing how we do work and um, why it's actually hard to make that happen is you've got this multi-generational workplace and people saying, I'm going to just have people suck it up and we're going to do it this way or whatever yep. the case may be. But I think it's there and I think it's important. And I absolutely think it's, it's something that as if I'm going to be saying something to an organization to say, learn long-term, we need to be looking at how we run our work. You need to be looking at who's doing the work in your organization, what is happening, how those inter intergenerational uh, kind of uh, hardwiring 
go into conflict with each other and what that actually manifests itself like in uh, how we get our work done. So I absolutely think that's a great issue. Um, I want to turn over to Gina because we only have five minutes left. And uh, Gina, you get the last word in terms of oh. what is the most important, what is the big thing for the last year for Gina Master Decon? All right. This is going to be good. Okay. You ready? I, that's why I actually put you last because I knew right. that you would. You so would my, it. one of my pet peeves is how the focus is never to put any money towards old buildings and they're just old and crappy and falling down. And then yet I'm building something brand new and shiny because somebody wanted it. And this is a Deferred national issue. This is not sexy. It is not sexy. Nobody is jazzed, but wait for it. Full circle. You could really make a tremendous difference if you let more people work from home and then you could tear down a bunch of old junky buildings. What are we doing? Air conditioning or heating, old buildings. Like, what are we doing, people? So I have 1,292 buildings that I am responsible for. What? Yes. So... And I'm not even the main part of campus. I'm like the side part. So I have 1,292 buildings. They're located all over the state of Florida. There's a tropical storm coming. Um, let well, them just it'll hit something of mine. I say if, let them crash. Well, the hurricanes can be your friend. So can fire, wildfires. Oh, no. um, but my point is there's no policy or plan. Mm. There's. It, it would be fine if we say, okay, this year we're going to spend X and it's going to come out. Nobody wants that to be their policy win mm -hmm. and another year goes by and i'm air conditioning on the outside we're heating the outside like we're just our energy bills are going through the roof and we can't seem to figure out how we're going to pay the energy bill and yet once again we're not learning any lessons so i i can i, 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 I i've been working on this for you years in dc on this on this answer i know i know I all over this yeah so I have, I mean, I've read a couple of good um, posts about it, but really, to me, there's such a win-win opportunity for everybody, but nobody wants this to be their policy thing and at the state or federal level. And we have a lot of old buildings. And I mean, we're, our university is more than 100 years old. I, I have, I actually just put together a proposal to try to think about getting some money I have something like 276 greenhouses all over the state, and I have 15 of them that are more than 80 years old. Oh, wow. So what do I do? I don't have any money to build a new one. I don't have any money to fix anything. So we just make do with duct tape and bailing wire. And I think this is a really big issue, and somebody could come and be the policy hero, but I don't know who. Uh, well... I love this idea. I want somebody to take bold action as far as that's concerned, but it, it aligns with something that frustrates me from, I hear around my area, and this isn't just about universities, it's about all workplaces. Oh, these buildings are half occupied by workers. No one's coming to work, but yet in the same breath, we're like, oh, but there's nowhere to live. I'm like, maybe, just maybe, we make these office buildings <laughs> into apartments. You know, like the more people that could live there, maybe we won't have the issue. But, you know, I love that idea. I think you guys are great. And I want to thank uh, Corey. I want to thank Gina. I want to thank Gage. I want to thank uh, all our other previous folks, Jason Pina. Uh, we have all kinds of Ken Elmore. We've had a lot of great guests on our, our think tank this season. And um, we have a lot more to come next year. And uh, I want to thank everybody who's tuned in. And if you have not subscribed, to my Substack, uh, please do so. The information is scrolling across the center of your screen and uh, you get all the replays. But uh, Gina, Gage, Corey, have a great summer. And thank you all you for too. everything. And, uh, you know, you are listening to, and you have been listening to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Our next show uh, will be on the 15th of June with uh, our folks from uh, University of Kharkiv. Um, and then uh, there will be some more shows added to the schedule before the end of June. So please pay attention to the schedule. Follow me here on, <clears throat> excuse me, on Fireside and all other social media platforms. And now get out there and learn something, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>